everybody has to compromise. And that's perhaps where we need to be. So last weekend, Faye and I uh, were away serving uh, Nigel down here at the conference he was holding for the Rapid Response Team chaplains. Uh, Rapid Response Team is this incredible thing that Nigel uh, leads in uh, the UK and Europe. The, they basically train people up to go into times of crisis, whether that be um, a natural disaster such as flooding or whether it be um, the tragedy that happened in Plymouth recently. Um, and so uh, he asked us to go down, Faye and I, and Faye was leading worship, I was teaching, because it's always best if we stick to that. Well, actually, no, Faye can teach, I just can't lead worship. Um, and I'm stood in this room um, on Friday night, and many of the people who are chaplains, because of the nature of it, they literally get a phone call on like Friday morning and say, can you be there Friday night? And that might be in Plymouth or Paris or wherever, and they just kind of go, and they are... They are a physical presence of Jesus that just listens and talks and talks to police officers who have seen all sorts of things or talk to people who have done all sorts, seen all sorts of things. Or when Prince Philip died, they went down to Buckingham Palace and just talked to people and led a number of them to Jesus as well, which is incredible. But it means that a lot of the people there, um, a lot of them are kind of, um, they've retired, so they're in their late 50s, 60s, 70s. A lot of them have also done incredible things for Jesus. So I think you told me the Principal of Malvern Bible College was there. I'm going, okay, that's all right. I've never been to Bible College, but okay. And, uh, and then I realized that uh, Jim King was there who birthed church on the way up in Idle and has done incredible things and built incredible things. And I'm looking, and I'm, I'm looking at all these people thinking, I am a little boy in this room. And immediately Jesus said to me, but remember what a little boy who brings what he's got can do. And a few years ago, that thought would have hit me quite hard, and I would have probably struggled, and I would have probably tried to be somebody I was not, to try and make myself bigger than I really was. But across the whole journey of the Christian faith is to learn to think like Jesus, to have minds that are renewed. So because of the hard work that I've done over the years, I didn't go down all sorts of rabbit warrens that I'm not good enough, or old enough, or experienced enough, or wise enough, although all that may well have been true. But instead, I heard the voice of Jesus remind me of what he can do with little boys who give what they have. And of course, it's the story that I started with. Let me see if we can. Here we are. So this story about the five loaves and the two fishes, Jesus' heart goes out to the people who have been following him and he asks them how they're going to feed him. They respond with disbelief because the crowd's thousands deep and then one of them pipes up and says that that we've already read. Because I knew the rest of the story, I knew that Jesus takes this small pat lunch and feeds thousands with it. And I'm going to say this a lot this morning, but when we give the little we think we have into the hands of a multiplier God, he can feed thousands and have leftovers. That is the, 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 the message of this story, if you like. So as I go up there, I just thought, okay, no matter what I think about me, no matter what I think about my education or my training, no matter that I think I've got five loaves and two fishes, which might be insufficient to feed a hungry cow, all I have to do is give what I've got into the hands of a multiplier God. And sure enough, God does something incredible. Here's the fascinating thing, though, because we so often minimize what we do have, and then we don't use it which means God can't multiply it. Imagine if that little boy looked in his bag, looked at the crowd, 
and decided that since what he had was so small and the need so great, he didn't pipe up. Imagine if he'd done what most of us do and minimized what he had and didn't offer it into the hands of Jesus. If you don't offer it into the hands of the multiplier God, then he can't multiply it, as I said already. You can have the biggest number in the world, but times it by zero, it's still zero. So no matter what you've got, if you don't give it, if you don't share it, if you don't give it out, then the multiplier God cannot multiply it because he's got nothing to multiply. Sometimes it's just the really small things. On the Friday night, I'd, um, I'd spoken, this lady came up and started talking to me. And um, then she started talking a bit more and explained how she'd been in hospital and had a heart condition. I said, okay, well, let me, let me pray for you. So I just put my arm around her shoulder without really thinking whether I should have asked her or not. And um, I prayed for her. And she started crying. And that's kind of a good sign or a bad sign. So you're like, either, either I'm doing well or I'm doing really badly. Um, so you just carry on going, okay, well, I'll do it. Anyway, I finished praying. She said, thank you. And then she said these words. That's the first piece of physical contact I've had other than in hospital for 18 months. I thought it was my wonderful prayer, but anyway, <laughs> nothing to do with that. She explained how all her friends had bubbled up with other people and that she didn't have anybody to bubble up with and she lived on her own. So other than people touching her in hospital when she'd been in there, she'd had no physical contact at all. See, you have an arm. That might be all you need to use. I've only got an arm. Well, it blessed her so much, she came down on Sunday morning and just told Faye all about it as though it was the best thing that happened all year. But you have arms. Don't tell me you don't have anything. Don't tell me you can't give. Don't tell me you can't do something beautiful. It can be about as simple as something as a hug or a smile. I am always amazed how many people don't say thank you to waiters and waitresses in restaurants. I'm always amazed how many people don't say thank you to people at the checkout. And I felt the other side of it the other day. I was, it was quite busy in Little Daisies one morning, first thing, and I, I, I walked in there and they went, will you just take these coffees to that table? Okay. Lady completely blanked me. Just put this cup. Walked away. Do you want some sugar? Yes, please. Totally blanked me. And I walked away going, how much? Now, I don't need her affirmation to say thank you. I don't think so anyway. But you see, it made me real. I, I, I'm always, you know, just because somebody, somebody's getting paid to take your glasses away, don't mean to say you shouldn't say thank you. I'll do it with a smile. And you might go, well, they're doing their job. Yeah, well, you start doing your job as an ambassador of Jesus Christ then. Because that's your job. As an ambassador of Jesus, it's your job. But you realize you, you have all sorts of things. You can brighten up somebody's day just by smiling at the checkout person in Aldi. And not whinging and moaning about the fact you've queued for three minutes. When they say sorry, just go, it's okay. I can see you're really busy. Thank you. Rather than going, flipping up. Why don't you open another till? Oh. That light's been flashing for three minutes and nobody's appeared yet. Okay, we'll be like the rest of the world then and see the same result. You have got something to give. It doesn't take much in this world to give something beautiful. Plus, it'll do you good to stand in a queue for a few minutes and keep your phone in your pocket while you're there. 
You're a unique and wonderful individual, and you have got five loaves and two fishes that need to be shared and placed in the hands of a multiplier God so he can feed people. And it starts real simple. We can all do it. On a different occasion, we read this. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. The heart of Jesus is that no one would leave hungry. But he needs something to work with, it seems. His heart is that people will be filled up with him, with his love, but he needs something to work with. I want a heart that grows to a place where nobody gets left hungry after my interaction with them. That I've given them something. I've given them some, even if it's just a smile, even if it's just something, thank you, that nobody that, I, that leaves an interaction with me is left in any way hungry. Don't you want to be like that? Do you want to feed people? Do you want to give them something beautiful because you've got something beautiful? But of course, he can work with your smile, your thanks, your comment, your hug, but he's got to have something to work with. All I did was put my arm around a lady and it was the highlight of a year. Of it often all gets lost in the comparison, envy, and self-depreciation that we enter. But once again, Jesus takes what little his disciples have got and turns it into something more with leftovers because when you give what you've got into the hands of a multiplier God, there'll always be enough. Because the challenge is to recognize what you do have and see what you think as little as really enough if you'll hand it over to him. This is the issue. You see, we all look and we all go, ah, yeah, but what about them? And what about them? And what about them? And what about them? Yeah, be quiet. What about you? You are a unique, fantastic, talented, gifted, amazing individual who has five loaves and two fishes to give. I mean, you might even feel like you've got a chip and that's it. Well, give the chip then. Don't worry, you haven't got two full bags of chips and five battered fish and three baps and some mushy peas. Just give the chip. But let's at least give the chip. And then let's start realizing that you've all got more than a chip. You've all got so much more. When Jesus <clears throat> takes the disciples on this journey of taking a little and creating a lot, I'm, I'm sure they would have been reminded of a story in their history. It's a story about loss and pain and grief and seeming tragedy. But it's also a story about being brave enough to bring the little you have and pour it into the hands of a multiplier God. Loss is tough. Whether that be friendship, reputation, job, marriage breakdown, losing somebody to death, loss is hard. I've known loss in all sorts of ways. It's one of the most heartbreaking things to bear. So if you can, put yourself in this lady's shoes and imagine how she's feeling facing the loss of all she holds dear. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She said, your maidservant has nothing. In what am I doing here? Let's go back to this one. What should Elisha possibly do? What could he do? What would be the best thing to do in this situation? Imagine you come across this situation. She has nothing left. What would you do? 
refer to the local debt counselling service, give her a food bank voucher, take her to Asda, pay off her debt. Not what Elisha does. What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have? She said, your merchant has nothing but a jar of oil. Elisha's not concerned about what she doesn't have, but about what she does have. Her focus is on the problem and her lack and all the reasons why she can't go on and life was ending. But as we read through the story, we find that the solution, she already had it. Now, can you imagine this happening today? Can you imagine somebody coming to me and I said, well, what have you got? Most people would be deeply upset at me. But Elisha, we find out, does something incredible. Well, God does something incredible. Can you imagine you've got no money in the bank, no food in the fridge, no credit on your phone, no access to any credit of any sort, literally no way of getting anything that you need. And the so-called man of God comes along and asks you what you have got. Where's his compassion? Where's his mercy? Where's his grace? What's he saying? Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you should shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all these vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. He said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. When you think you've got nothing, you could already have the seed for everything. When you think you've got nothing, you could already have the seed for everything. That's one of the messages of this story. We often think we've got nothing to bring, nothing to offer. We want to look outside of ourselves for the answer to our issues. And yes, the ability to receive help from outside of you is a skill many people never learn and need to. Of course, we've got to learn to receive help from other people. But another great skill is the ability to recognize what you've got as opposed to what you don't have. Our culture, our society is very good at knowing what we do not have. Our whole society is built on consumerism and the belief that if we just get something more, we'll be all right. It's extremely good at working out what we don't have. Extremely good at telling you what you don't have. That's what advertising does. It tells you what you don't have. So we're bombarded all the time by what I don't have and what I can't do. And then we have all these internal doubts that just look at what we've got and what God's given us and we don't see it and we don't think it's good enough and we can't do this and we can't do that. But the message of the prophet Elisha is that even when what you have seems very little and insignificant, it can be more than enough in the hands of a multiplier God. Consider how many people, perhaps even you, think they have nothing to offer. They look around and they go, well, but that person's gifted and that person's talented and that person can do this and that person can do that and they've got all this sort of stuff going on and then they go, well, since I can't do that, I'm just going to not do anything. Okay, well, right there, you just stopped the work of the multiplier God. Right there. The truth is, You are all gifted and talented. That's not the issue. The issue is not your talent. It's not your ability. It's not your heart. That's not the issue. The issue is whether your mind will allow you to use it. The issue is that we believe some gifts and talents to be more important than others and we put ourselves down. We become consumed in comparison and envy and self-depreciation where we play down our talents and abilities. We've decided we've got nothing to give because after all, all we've got is a couple of chips and look how many people need feeding. 
we've got to go on a journey of correctly perceiving that which we've been given and that which others have been given and recognize that different does not equal better, it equals different. Different does not equal better. You are different. That is fabulous. It's wonderful. It's amazing. I love the fact that we're all different. Took me a long, long time to stop, to learn to be my difference. Took me a long time to start just being me and understand that when I'm me, I'm the best gift that can be to the world, which is completely unique to anybody else's gift to the world, but that's a fabulous thing. In the widow's case, she'd already, she already had what she needed, but she had a change of mindset. In her thinking, it was all over. There was no future. But Elisha's perspective is completely different. The issue was not about the facts of the situation, but about different perceptions of the same facts. The facts of the situation were the same for Elisha and the widow, exactly the same. But Elisha went, that's enough. She went, that's not enough. And when she got with the program, with Elisha's program, I went, okay, it is enough. She had everything she needed. Of course, she could have had more. How far did the boys go to get the jars? Just the village? How, far, how many jars did they get? 10, 20? It says it stopped when the jars ran out, which means there could have been enough for the whole nation if she'd have got enough jars. See, here's the thing. I wonder whether in a poverty mindset she went, well, if I just get enough jars for me and my two kids, I'll be okay. Uh-uh, mistake. It's bigger than that. It's not just about you. It's not about your family and your little 2.4 children and making sure we're all right. It's about the world. It's much bigger than all that. And of course, when you look at what you've got and then you don't use it, you impact the world negatively because the world doesn't get to appreciate and, and get what you've got. So your family don't. This house doesn't. And this house, or whatever house you belong to, whatever house you're a part of, it needs what you've got and it needs you to bring your A game to it because everybody suffers when you don't. You see, most people in this situation, this is the thing. When they're in the situation she was in, and they go, they don't want to deal with the thinking, they just want a practical problem. Well, bring me a bag of shopping, don't tell me to go get some jazz. And I understand that, I'd want the same. Who wouldn't want somebody to just go to Asda for you? But of course, that just, that just pushes the problem down the line. It's a temporary solution. It's a wonderful temporary solution. Sometimes all we can do is bring temporary solutions, and that's fantastic. But God actually wants to bring some permanent solutions by changing our thinking so we don't go to that place again. That's why we've got to deal with our thinking. Because if we don't we deal with our thinking, we'll just end up in the same place again and again and again and again. So Elisha goes, no, we want to change our thinking. Most people, of course, their hearts struggle. They say things like, I don't have enough. I can't give anything because I don't have enough. I can't go there. That's not possible. I won't be able to do that. And then what gets worse is then it starts to come out of them and they go, well, you can't do that and you're not good enough and you ain't got enough. Okay, well, listen, I'm going to just stick my hands in my ears and go, bleh, to anybody that says that to me. Because I am assured that God never thinks about those things. I know that because God started with nothing and created anything, everything. He literally started with nothing and created everything. We've got to start being people who say, no, what I've got is enough. I can do what he says I can do. I'm going to go. I've got enough to be a blessing. I've got enough to give. 
Somehow we've got to keep overhauling our minds in this area. God is not a God of poverty. He does not delight in seeing you. And I don't, I don't mean poverty financially, although I do mean that. But I mean poverty in the sense of, I can't do it, I'm not good enough, I can't get there, I don't have anything to give. God never thinks like that, ever. He's the more than enough God according to the word. The problem is we've believed in the just enough God, the last minute God, the scraping by God. We pray for people who are ill and we pray that the doctors will heal them. No. No. We're going to pray Jesus is going to heal them. I don't even want to get in a hospital. They shouldn't be anywhere near hospital, should they, if we believe in Jesus? I know they get there. I know it happened. I know people die. I know all that. But hey, I'm praying from this place now. When they open him up, they find nothing. That's my prayer now. Not, please, Lord. Please, Jesus, will the surgeons make him better? The surgeons can only make him better because of Jesus in the first place. We've got to up our game. If we want to see something bigger, we've got to up our game to something greater. I mean, we've had a number of things happen, haven't we, in our family that we've seen incredible things. If that doesn't boost your faith, I don't know what does. Too often we look down and we respond like the disciple. Well, this is what I've got, but how far will it go among so many? We look at the need. We look at what we have. We give up because it feels so small and insignificant, but all we have to do is give what we have and put it in the hands of a multiplier God. Listen, you have a voice which you can encourage people with. You have hands to touch and hug people. You have faith to speak. You have a voice to praise. You have a voice to tell about Jesus. You have gifts, talents, abilities that are unique to you. You realize there's nobody on the earth just like me. I know some of you are like, thank God for that. But there's nobody on the earth like you either. And that's a fabulous thing. It's a wonderful thing. There's a reason there's nobody on the earth like you because you're on the earth to solve a problem. And part of life is working out what is the problem I am here to solve and then doing that. And wherever that is and whatever it looks like, that is ministry. That is it right there. Don't fall for the nonsense that you've got to stand on a stage in a building called a church to be in ministry. You're all in ministry because you're all ambassadors of Jesus Christ taking it out. But listen, when you're in that place, thank you, Lord. See, I think there's some, there's some stretch coming for some of you in your places of work in a good way. Some, some step-ups coming. But, but if, you, if you start going on our car, well, you just stop the multiplier God working. Because if we don't have people in the world in positions of influence and authority, how are we ever going to change anything? We're not. If the people who are making all the decisions don't know Jesus, how are we going to change anything? We need people in places of authority and influence to make a difference in the world. So they can bring the heart of Jesus into what they're doing and they can put what they've got in the hands of a multiplier God and make a difference. Don't be afraid of reaching high. Don't be afraid of going to the top. We need people at the top. We need people who are in the highest positions in the land. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our Prime Minister knew Jesus like you know Jesus? I mean, I know he'd have his hands tied and his legs tied, but at least he'd be able to do something different. 
Like, why shouldn't we do that? Why shouldn't we reach for those places? I think we should. Listen, I'll finish with this. Your community, your family, this city, this world needs you. And it needs you to bring your five loaves and two fishes and place them in the hands of a multiplier God so people can be fed with enough for leftovers. That is what's needed. It is what's necessary. So wherever you find yourself tomorrow morning, whatever place you find yourself in, whoever you find yourself around, whatever you feel like, whether you feel like a little boy or whether you feel like the top brass, whether you feel like it's not enough or is enough, just remember, before you walk through those doors, <clears throat> all right, Lord, here's my five loaves and two fishes. I'm pouring it in the hands of you and I'm going to watch you do a miracle with it. Maybe if we thought like that, we might see more fabulous things go on, amen? Okay, shall we pray? Thank you, Father. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Father, we want to thank you for that which you've put in our hearts. I want to thank you for the incredible gifts, talents, abilities, insight that you have put in people's hearts here right now and watching online, Father, I want to thank you that you have put a well of resources on the inside of them. But Lord, I pray that we would see what you've given us through your eyes. That we would stop claiming that it's insufficient and not enough and that we can't do this and we can't do that. And that, Lord, we would see that all we have to do is give what we've got and give it to you and watch you do something incredible with it. And Father, I pray that we would see something incredible with it. That as we start to give what we've got and put it in your hands, we would see incredible things in the name of Jesus. And Father, for those of us, for those of us in that place where for whatever reason we just can't see anything, we just feel like there's nothing I've got to give. Father, I pray that over these coming days you would take the scales off their eyes, Father. And help them to see exactly what it is that you've put in their heart. That unique gift, skill, ability, talent, heart that you have put in there. And you'd help them see it for theirs and all our benefit. In Jesus' name, amen.